You're Going to Die, the podcast is brought to you by YG2D, a 501c3 nonprofit bringing diverse communities creatively into the conversation of death and dying, inspiring life by unabashedly sourcing our shared mortality. To find out more, visit www.yg2d.com. By listening to this episode, you've joined an unfolding. You're at a kind of beginning, a part of a storyline that will result in ultimately something magical being in the world. We're so glad you're here to help make it happen. Welcome. I was in an improv class in my 20s, maybe like around 25 years old or something like that. And I remember I was in this group with a friend of mine, one of my best friends, and something happened where the teacher offered a chance for us to acknowledge someone in the room, I think, or acknowledge someone that really matters to us a lot. And I acknowledge my best friend. And I remember in that context, just getting so emotional. I I cried and I still feel a little bit of shame (laughs) because I imagine this improv teacher and all these people trying to like become famous or do improv, whatever, make people laugh. And I'm in there crying because of how much I love somebody and expressing that love and bursting into tears over it. And I'm I'm saying that now because I'm feeling love for one of the guests especially and and now also for this new friendship um that I've made because of of the first friend and realizing like I've often expressed in a lot of different ways that this thing I do boy it gives me a chance to just be very real in the world like I want to be and how many contexts in our culture especially where being very real and raw and vulnerable boy, it creates like guilt and shame and and often feels like it's out of place. And so um, I'm starting there with love for a dear friend who I believe in and am so grateful for her presence in my life and the impact she's had on me from the very moment I met her. I was doing a, a open mic, or you're going to die, poetry, prose, and everything goes. Oh, and hi, this is Ned your host for You're Going to Die, the podcast. Welcome. Glad you're here. So I'm, I'm doing one of these open mics that we do, and we're doing again. We do them in San Francisco and Berkeley now in the San Francisco Bay Area. So if you're living in those neighborhoods or locally, or you can get a plane and fly over here during the second or third Thursday of the month, come check out our in-person open mic. It's the heart of what we do, the beginning of what we do, and the beginning of so many connections and stories uh, over the last 10 plus years. And Claudia Bichen is one of those stories for me. She came up to me. I remember vividly her coming up to say hello. I feel like I was standing on stage and she walked up and spoke to me. The very first word she ever said to me was, was there at the edge of the stage. And it wasn't long after that when I found out about her work, especially her, her project Thoughts in Passing, where she essentially interviewed hundreds of hours of conversations with dying community members. And then she drew life-size portraits of them 
and lifelike portraits, by the way, also. She's an incredible artist. And that's just one project. I recommend checking out all the things she's done over the years. But that's how I met her. And we actually did a show where we had her share these pieces along with audio from the recordings of the dying people that she worked with doing the project. And in the clothing of these human beings, these dying people, and we'll talk a little bit about this project in in the episode, in the clothing that these people wore in the photos that she drew were words from the interviews she had with them. Words, things they said and shared about their life, about dying, um, their fears, their loves. And I got the honor of being able to bring her into a venue and have her share these stories, share the audio, share the videos, share the artwork. And we had music, uh, like we often do, peppered throughout the evening. And it's one of the favorite events I've ever done. And I, I count her as one of my good, dearest friends now. Her new project with Brian Isaac, who is now <laughs> also a new friend, maybe like five years from now, I'll have something to share about him in an episode, and I'll cry because, because we've become dear, dear friends. But these two have a new project that they've been working on over the last five or six years. So let me start by introducing you to that. The Forgotten Teachers is the creative brainchild of two friends, Brian Isaac and Claudia Bichen, who believe in the power of wonder to change the world. The Forgotten Teachers describes the evolution of life on Earth under the mentorship of six teachers from the natural world, ocean, air, the planet Thea, sun, plants, and others we share this world with. Ideas from the field of evolutionary biology are fused with poetic prose and brought to life by intricate and dreamlike watercolor illustrations. So I invite you to listen to this episode. Listen to Brian and Claudia and I talk about this project and the ways it matters, the ways they care about it, the ways it's already impacted me. We'll share some excerpts from the book, Put to Music by Nick Jaina. And in this hour-ish that we share together. I hope you're moved enough to go to the show notes and click on the Kickstarter and help them raise the funds to make this book definitively happen. I want a hard copy of this book. And I hope you will too after you listen to this conversation. Claudia Bichen is a British-American artist who uses illustration and storytelling to explore ideas about what it means to be mortal beings in a vast and mysterious universe. Her work has been at the Smithsonian's National Portrait Gallery in Washington, D.C., the Royal Society of Portrait Painters in London, and the National Arts Club in New York. Before The Forgotten Teachers, Claudia created Thoughts in Passing, an audiovisual portrait series that followed the lives of nine hospice patients as they confronted their death. Thoughts in Passing was featured in the Washington Post, Huffington Post, and San Francisco Chronicle, and shared in museums, hospitals, universities, and high schools across the U.S. and the U.K. Claudia holds a B.A. in philosophy and psychology from the University of Oxford and an M.S.C. in social anthropology from University College London. Brian is a biologist and a poet living in Pittsburgh, Pennsylvania. He has listened in on conversations between electric fish and studied how mice use their whiskers to perceive tactile shapes. While working on his PhD in neuroscience at Berkeley, he also wrote a book of grid-like poems where the geometry of the text allowed the same words to carry multiple meanings. 
This interest in the physicality of stories ultimately led to his collaboration with Claudia Bichen on a work called The Forgotten Teachers, where they examine the history of life on Earth as another story in physical form, just one we have forgotten how to read. So I hope you enjoy this beautiful conversation with these beautiful, creative, brilliant human beings here on You're Going to Die, the podcast with Claudia Bichen and Brian Isaac talking about their new book, The Forgotten Teachers. I'd be happy to go back and think of our first conversations. It was uh, some time now, maybe six years, but... Gosh, really? We six had years. An incre- yeah, yeah. Mm. We were sitting. I'll always remember. I think we were sitting, um, eating pie, and in, in a restaurant, and we were just in trying the to like in San Francisco. In the yeah, yeah. Trying, feeling really excited about like looking, feeling excited that we realized that we both had um, these overlaps in our creative interests and the big questions, right? And just feeling also this urgency about finding new ways to talk about them um, because it just has become, I think, abundantly clear. And it was clear then, and it's still becoming (laughs) more clear that we haven't sufficiently really explored that space of how we um, contextualize and describe, you know, our relationships with the world, with nature, how we're impacting it. And I think even then that was sort of weighing on me that I had done a lot of research and as a scientist, but it was clear that that gets stripped of the emotional element. And then there's this huge impact that you don't have because of that. Yeah. I'm, did you want to add something, Claudia, before I throw, throw something else in there? Yeah, I'll just add really briefly that I think for me, this this entire project has always been about the emotion of wonder, because I believe so deeply that if you can evoke wonder and awe in other people, that's your sort of gateway to wanting to protect the thing that you fall in love with. And that was sort of the core emotion behind this project for me. Yeah, I, I'm thinking of one of your notes, Brian, about the spirituality, and, you know, talking about science and science not being understood spiritually. Mm-hmm. And I almost yeah. wonder if there's like a, can the, you know, emotion, can it be understood emotionally? You know, like mm-hmm. that word could be interchanged like, or switched out with spirituality. I don't know if that's mm-hmm. true, if that works. Yeah. But, yeah. I think that really does work. Um, and you know, I, I feel like I haven't put it in those terms to myself before. Um, but as I'm kind of turning it over in my mind right now, that probably is kind of the language that I'm looking for where it is, you know, a, a world like, you know, that is very rational and built from all of these experiments. If we're talking about like a scientific understanding of nature, but um, what you really need and what I think is amazing to watch when you realize is to feed those facts into the emotional channel, you know, create that resonance where, you know, if I, even, even as I, you know, am aware of a lot of these uh, big issues that we're all facing, um, 
I can read a fact and I will think, oh, okay, there's another really depressing fact. But in a way, I almost just subtract it out because I think, you know, maybe I don't have the right emotional context for it besides that's kind of, I don't know what to do with that. You know, like it's a big, it's a, you know, this is, this is a big problem or that's another big problem, but I don't really emotionally know how to work, work through it. Let's yeah. be, let, let me ask if you can be even more specific, you know, like, cause I, and, and I think it's important for the point I, I, of the book, one of them anyway, and especially something I think Claudia, you highlighted in your, your wonderful video on your Kickstarter, uh, which is this need right now. And I, and again, to use your words, Brian, it's, it's like, you're going to die. It's like, no, everything is going to die. Both right, yeah. the healthy fact of that. And I think the book sort of has that very subtly, you know, woven through it. The, the like breaking Thank down. You. And yes. The that was back, something you know. that we were constantly, we we're like, we need to acknowledge this, but we also, you know, we don't want it to be another case where it's so overwhelming that you kind of shut off that emotional capacity. Mm -hmm. um, I don't know, Claudia, if you wanted to speak to the, the, you know, the emotional element of, yeah, every, everything is going to die if we don't. <laughs> uh, that feels important. The difference. It feels I, important. I and it's like, say. it just keeps, yeah, it keeps coming up too. Like I read the news and it'll say, oh yeah, we're definitely, you know, things are going extinct definitely much faster than ever before. Like that is happening, you know? <laughs> uh, and very much explicitly because of us. And, yeah, and because you know, of us. and I think with mm -hmm. the, and I think with the book and the same Ned, you'll remember with thoughts in passing, which was the, the hospice project that I created is I was like, how, how can you get, how can we get people to touch these, these sort of dark ideas, these very sad ideas, these overwhelming ideas of death or climate crisis in a way that is like through the, through the doorway of beauty and through the doorway of art. And like that has been so crucial. And like Brian just said, we sort of did it in these very subtle ways in the opening and the closing of the book, but really everything in the middle is about, about a sort of an awakening and beauty and wonder. Um, and mm -hmm. I, I think that's really like, that was a very conscious uh, process in how we put it together. Can we talk really briefly about that bridge between thoughts and passing, Claudia, if you can kind of explain that project a little bit more for the listeners. And, and so then to really overtly see that, that like, it almost feels like as far as the major wonderful work you've been like putting your time and creativity and energy into in the world, this is like the, that kind of bled into this. Is that accurate or? Yes. Okay. Yes, definitely. They're very much cut from the same cloth. So Thoughts in Passing was a project that I worked on um, quite a number of years ago now where I interviewed nine different hospice patients across the Bay Area. And I interviewed them about their lives and what had given their lives meaning, what they regretted, what we, the living, could learn from people who are dying. And I turned those interviews into life-size pencil portraits accompanied by these short audio clips. Um, but ultimately, that project was about meaning-making and storytelling and, and sort of shining a light on these very sort of 
intimate, almost sacred moments. And that's where I think there's this huge bridge between Thoughts in Passing and the Forgotten Teachers. They're both trying to shine a light on these on these sort of avoided or forgotten elements of what it means to be human. They're both confronting deep existential questions about who we are, where we've come from, why we're here, what this, this planet is, um, and how we can navigate it as, as mortal, fragile human beings. Yeah. Um, and I want to kind of acknowledge that, that thoughts in passing is sort of how we met. And I just feel like it's worth, worth going back to that original connecting and, and I think then to feeling the emotion mm. of this work, this new work between you both, um, kind of still hold, resonates with me in that way. I, I, I want to make sure I'm clear about the sentence too. Everything is going to die as in the very natural, uh, you know, I, I wonder about that. There's like a question there. It's like, everything is going mm -hmm. to die because everything is, and that it's different mm. from everything is going to go extinct, you know? And yeah. the book kind yeah. of is, is sort of maybe gently holding both the, the very natural, healthy, uh, like feeding love life back into life, you know, and yeah. the, like, this thing, this is precious. That's a, one part of this big, precious miracle that we are threatening a rapid <laughs> end to. Absolutely. Um, and we, we even touched base on this a little because we were thinking about the book and this context and, um, thinking of, yeah, we have, we touch on both in the sense that the air chapter, we really try to show how these ideas of like circularity and existence, um, we talk about sort of how all matter in the sort of the food chains coming from plants, which are getting that matter from the air. And then at the end of your life, how that is going back in the air, you know, that is such an incredible circular process that um, kind of speaks to what sometimes we think of as almost more metaphorical process, but it's like also the reality. Mm -hmm. yeah. <laughs> um, Brian, can you explain but, that a bit more? Cause when you first explained it to me, it was so mind blowing. I don't think I had really truly understood it until we had that conversation that plants are really made from air. Yeah. On its own you know, you look at plants and you have a sense that they're taking in water, they're in dirt, you know, these are, you know, physical things. And we think, oh, well, that is, you know, that is where the plant comes from. And it was a really interesting process. And one of the first kind of um, uses of like botanal, botany experiment to, to actually show that basically if you put plants in dirt and you add water and the dirt doesn't go away, you know, the form of the plant must be coming from somewhere else. That blew people's mind. They were like, why aren't there holes where every plant is planted? That was a, that was a big question uh, a couple hundred years ago, because clearly the physical form of the plant is coming from the physical thing that's obvious to us. Um, and so through these really interesting experiments, they showed, yeah, the soil, the soil does not go away. And in fact, the physical form of the plant is somehow coming from the air. And I think there's just something about that that we somehow seem to appreciate by all of the sort of careful treatment that a lot of 
spiritual practices have around air. Like there's almost like an understanding of that, that we have almost intuitively that the air is this reservoir of potential form that we come from that. We pass through this physical form via plants, kind of turning that air into sugars, things that everything eats. And then those things are given that gift of physical form. And then when your life is over, you go back to that reservoir of formlessness, right? Your carbons turn back into gas, carbon dioxide, and then you're back in that, you know, reservoir of potential form. And it's not to say that those parts of you won't become part of some other form again, even, right? Which I think is just amazing. It's just incredible. Um, first of all, <laughs> I'm just muting myself because I want to just say, mm, oh, amen. I just do it so much. <laughs> I'm actually making a lot of noise. <laughs> and that's why I'm so quiet is because I just, it does not make for a good listen. <laughs> but I want, I want you to know I'm very actively <laughs> responding over here. I wanna, yeah. Let me know what I should do because I have the same impulse. Okay. All right. <laughs> I think it's okay. At least one of us who exclaims too much is <laughs> muted and I can be that <laughs> Um, I'm imagining Claudia and you, Brian, the beginning of this, like right now I'm feeling like if I was the kind of artist you are, Claudia, and I sat with Brian over pie, and I'm not saying that the pie moment was the like, oh, we should do this. I want, I want to know. I do. What I'm trying to go it back was. to is, is that right? <laughs> Were you was, sitting yeah. and eating pie and it was like, I, can you just describe that? I'm Cause I'm sitting here imagining, like I said, if I, was as incredible an artist as you are, Claudia, talking to Brian, <laughs> I would be like, wait, what did you just say? You know what I mean? Like, <laughs> wait, what? And then seeing, I imagine for you, Claudia, just like the imagery already coming in. Yes. And maybe totally. is, I don't know, was that, is that how no, it was? No, that's exactly. But, I mean, for context, Brian and I have known each other now 10 years, maybe longer, 12 years. So we had mm. had many, many, many conversations before Pi where I was like, wait, what that happened? You know, so before I already, pie. Before <laughs> before, pie. it was before yeah. pie and after pie. Yeah. And, and I was so in awe of the conversations that we would have about science. And then I also knew Brian was a poet and had read his poetry, but he had never actually put his poetry with his knowledge of science. And I was like, please do that. Please do that. Please do that. And then one day I was like, can you just do that? But with me, and that's, <laughs> and that's sort of really how it came about. So when we did sit down for pie, um, the, the conversation was, okay, how big do we want to go with this? How mm -hmm. wide do we mm -hmm. want to go on this, on this idea? And I think we left that conversation with, with a very, very lofty goal of let's create something that, um, makes people sort of question what it means to be human through the lens of these extraordinary scientific ideas and in, in evolutionary biology, but done through these sort of surreal, strange illustrations. And we were like, great, how are we, how, how are we going to do that? And then, uh, we then went on a six year journey. Do you have, yeah. Okay. That's great. And love imagining that moment. Brian, is there something else to throw in on kind of that beginning at all? I know you shared a little bit already, but is there any more to add about that? I Origin mean, point? Uh, I think Claudia described it well. And I think, you know, I was realizing in that moment, whenever we were 
riffing in on a, on an idea. I mean, Claudia has an incredible ability to hold these massive ideas, like big questions in mind and also interrogate them and also, you know, look at the edges and figure out, you know, what is kind of a, a usable piece of material and what is kind of too well-established or too esoteric because, you know, as much as I try to see the overlaps of the science and the art or the beauty of things, I still lean a little too far in the science direction. And so mm -hmm. I think Claudia is really good at curating my um, curiosities into being something that fits into that Venn diagram a little bit uh, more smoothly, maybe. Because mm -hmm. sometimes I think I'll find something really remarkable, but it's it takes maybe too much other esoteric knowledge to really be like, okay, yeah, that's an accessible fact. Like, uh, you know, we could, we could mention this to somebody and they would, they would have the intended, you know, impact. No, maybe not, you know? Um, but I remember us talking originally really being excited maybe about the sun. I'm not sure, Claudia, if you remember, I think it was like, we just realized there was some yes. absolute was, magnet. Yeah. Just. This the, uh, the extraordinariness that eyes you told me yes. that eyes had evolved dozens of times across the evolutionary tree, um, completely independently of each other. That, and therefore, obviously, there is something so deeply powerful in the information of light that life over and over and over again is called toward it. And that actually trying makes to me see. think to go, trying to see. And I just read this amazing article last week about how they have um, found that flowers can listen. And if they play the sound of, of pollinators to flowers within three minutes, they start um, creating more nectar and sweeter nectar. And they found the same in coral. You can play sounds of fish to coral uh. and they will start landing and, gro and growing, but to baby coral. And that idea that, of course, but it makes sense. Of course, like sound is full of information. Of course, it's going to be used by life over and over and over again. Light is full of information. Of course, life will find a way to pull that information into itself for its advantage. Um, and that just blows my mind. Oh my goodness. Uh, mine too. Currently. Um, I'm feeling like the wonderment of the book, like just even, it, you know, the version of it that you just shared, Claudia, in, in looking at something like a fact of science of a history of, of, you know, billions of years and being in awe and feeling like the book is a big bow, you know, a big, a big celebration. Mm -hmm. Um, mm -hmm. and I'm thinking of something, <laughs> um, you said Claudia, when we were together last about trying to put work into the world that, and I'm going to paraphrase, you know, that conversation. Do you remember us? This was not over pie. It was mm -hmm. over, mm -hmm. it was over falafels. Um, <laughs> these are, our, these are all our, our, the touchstone food. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> exactly. Be careful but, where you eat pie and falafel. You never know. 
<laughs> totally. <laughs> totally. Um, but you remember talking about what does it mean to put a book in the world where uh, you imagine, um, sorry, Elon Musk picking it up and being like, oh, shit, you know, like I haven't really been thinking about everything in these terms, you know, and I know that's, that's a flippant <laughs> way of putting it, but we were talking about how do you create something that would make a difference where it could matter to saving yeah. the planet or saving the species, saving all the species, you know what I mean? Um, and I yeah. feel like this book, do you feel that way in relationship to it? And I absolutely want to acknowledge part of how the book works. This is why I'm talking about the bow that it is, the wonderment of that. If you go away from that and think somehow you're going out with something like this beautiful creation and preaching, like, hey, everybody, here's what we got to do. It undermines the power of it. It's like, no, mm -hmm. highlighting what's incredible. And so amazingly with the poetry and your illustrations is the way of getting people to wake up, you know, in a way. Uh, do you think about the book in those terms or am I making making it sort of accidentally too lofty of a of like creation? Uh, no, I was going to say, awakening i think is the is the sort of one of the cause of of what we want to do with mm -hmm. the book mm -hmm. awakening i mean like i said earlier it's a sort of an awakening through the doorway of wonder and beauty it's a gentle it's a gentle sort of entry into oh into just wanting to protect the thing we're losing and I hope whether it's somebody reading the book or maybe they even read it to their child, not that mm -hmm. it's, you know, it's not made for, it's made for everybody. It's made for adults and children, but maybe it's sort of read to a child and it's just these, I hope that it can be a, our very, very, very small contribution to, to what is happening in the world today. And it's just one small avenue um, to be able mm. to get people to wake up. There's so many ways to do it. And I think exactly. for me, I think about like, what are the tools I have? Like what, what are the skills I have that I can use, um, in, in a way that can, that can help, you know, I'm not working in policy or law or technology or like all these other ways, which are so crucial. I am an artist and like, this is what I think I can this is my small contribution. Hmm. Yeah, yeah. I, yeah. I would, I would say very similarly. Um, I mean, I think the point you raised Ned is really nuanced in an important way, which, which is that we, we didn't want to be naive and think, you know, that this is the only way that this awakening type of, thing can happen. I think what the book, what I think of it as doing is being more playful and more experimental in the mm -hmm. ways that we offer people, um, you know, different ways, different things are going to uh, work for different people. There's going to be more, yeah, experimentation in how we tell these stories. And I feel like um, what you realize is it's a really unexplored space. Like there are uh, lots of connections between the, I'll, I'll use your phrase, like the emotional channels of science that really just kind of remain closed either for like historical reasons, or I think in some ways it's um, because science, 
I would say maybe on average, scientists don't respond to the emotional element, right? They have a lot of things they're trying to figure out and that mm -hmm. is enough. It keeps mm -hmm. them very busy. And so uh, it kind of takes another intersection to kind of map and say, wow, there's a lot here that could help people. You got to kind of work on translating it, work on um, pushing this into the emotional channel in a way that might work for somebody that hasn't heard it that way. If that makes sense. Uh-huh. I want to kind of pull at that thread a little because what I've heard you say, and even in, in some of your language in the, in the Google form that I sent you, there's the almost, it feels like you're in the position of, to bring it back to the science and spirituality um, thread, you're in the position you said of maybe too much being in the science, but I, I experience you in the little ways I, I know you already through this work and just talking to you now that you kind of maybe are also in, in some, some way in constant awe. Um, yes. I don't know if you relate. Okay. <laughs> you're definitively <laughs> true. Absolutely. I mean, sometimes I'm just paralyzed at my kitchen window watching, mm. um, a very common bird just kind of show up for the first time this season, that kind of, that might be the most important thing that happens to me that day, mm. you know, <laughs> yeah, <laughs> that type of thing. Yeah. Um, That's so cool. I, and so when, when you say even at your languages, maybe it's good and right that science has not yet become understood spiritually. And I know you maybe just type these things out, I'm sure thoughtfully, like as a writer and also really wanting to offer some content that we could, we could speak to in this conversation, but mm. that, I'm wondering about you acknowledging Claudia for being someone who could pull you, especially with this project, kind of help balance the spirituality and the science. Um, but also you are that way. So you both had to do the work of like, how do I capture something in my poetry, in my illustrations that both acknowledges something that's very factual, like scientific. And so grounds us and binds us into the real and the ephemeral, this other piece that's kind of like a floating, you know, immeasurable part of, of the relationship you're trying to kind of bring people into with this awakening. Does that feel like the ongoing work was also like you would be in the poetry, Brian, you know, writing about these yeah, things? Absolutely. Yeah, absolutely. And I, and, and to be very clear, I mean, Claudia has deep, understanding of a lot of science because she mm. has a rigorous background in philosophy and other like deep knowledge of neuroscience. Um, did you have a master's in neuroscience as well, Claudia? I did my undergrad in psychology and neuroscience and philosophy. And then That's uh, right. my master's in psychology. Like, right. I could so, die dabbled. <laughs> absolutely. And, um, and so absolutely. I think the, the thrilling moments, the thrilling moments in the project were um, when we both realized the lens, the poetic, artistic, like the drawing lens that could potentially open up this really dense topic into something that people would latch onto or at least take a second to re-examine because I would say, you know, most of the concepts in the book, they're going to be in like most introductory biology textbooks in some form, but it's almost like comical to see how a textbook deals with these massive ideas in this like, okay, moving on, like pragmatic fashion. <laughs> um, and, and, and 
we had this opportunity to be like, wait, wait, hold on. This is actually nuts. And Mm -hmm. how do we, how do we make this, how do basically, how do we try one way of making people slow down and think again about how nuts that is? Basically, give me, give me, give me, give me a good, give me like a specific example. Yeah, that's a great idea. Yeah. I think that I think the air chapter is a great example. I give that one just because I think we've given some context on it already. But I remember a conversation that you and I had, Brian, where we we suddenly we were like, oh, my God, air is the source, the sustainer and the graveyard. And that just at least for, that was one of the conversations for me that was just so especially as a as a visual artist and then like imagining how to sort of play that out poetically and and artistically. And I had just never thought of air in that way. And now I will never be able to unthink of air in that way. And I think in that same chapter, there was a line about, you know, imagining the air um, as like fish, fish swimming through the air like they do the water. Or birds, sorry, birds swimming through the air like fish swim through water. And to sort of move through the world with this invisible thing that completely encompasses us that you never think about. You never think about your breathing or the fact that you are surrounded by this atmospheric entity (laughs) that you are a part of. And then you can never unthink these things again. And that for me was like what made this whole project so exciting. I know usually during this moment in the show, I encourage you to support the podcast or our nonprofit or check out our programming or this, that, and the other. But you know what? This episode is fully in support of Brian and Claudia's new book, The Forgotten Teachers. And so the instructions are simple and will give you some sweet time with some good music and an excerpt that Claudia shared with us to share with you from the book. So while all this is happening right now, go to the show notes and click on the Kickstarter link and go there. And by the way, my favorite option on that Kickstarter is that you contributing to the book being in the world will give you a hard copy of the book. There's a lot of different tiers and I recommend you giving as much as possible, but you want to have this book. I actually got it. I made a donation. I contributed to the Kickstarter because I want one of these books in my hand. I love it and I could start crying (laughs) right now because I can't wait to hold it. I'm so grateful for Brian and Claudia, the brilliance, the creativity, that this book is going to be an offering out of all of that work, their commitment to making this beautiful thing that matters, that we get to have it. So again, use this time while you listen to this excerpt from Claudia reading from the book, The Forgotten Teachers. Go to the Kickstarter link in the show notes, or you can go to Kickstarter's website and and search for The Forgotten Teachers, and you will find only one option that pops up, and it's the option to support this book being in the world. Thank you.
When your mother made you, she created a small ocean in her womb, just for you. In doing so, she repeated the most ancient story of hope and safekeeping ever told. The story of life. This story was passed down from her mother and her mother's mother and all the way back to the first mother, Ocean. Once upon a time, almost four billion years ago, Ocean taught life how to begin. In warm waters, chemicals linked together like words, babbling in gentle waves. These chemicals sparked a chain reaction. Instead of dissolving back into the sea, they joined, twisted and curled into their own types of words and sentences, finally folding into a delicate poem. Among untold billions of early texts that bubbled within ocean, only one single string of chemicals branched into all the stories inside all creatures living today. You are a descendant of that one salty speck of ancient text, a continuation of its story with no breaks or gaps of any kind. For thousands of years, people have honed their appreciation for this interconnection by slowly breathing air in and slowly breathing it back out. Air can remind you that you are not separate from the world. You are made from it and sustained by it. It is easy to forget that air is a second ocean, that clouds float on it like icebergs and birds swim through it like fish. From this reservoir of sky, plants condense like a rain of leaves. Through photosynthesis, plants turn air into sugars, leaves and seeds, even entire ecosystems. Through plants, a portal opens from air to physical form. When the hum of life stops, air takes back what it lent. In a few weeks, microbes and insects break down our forms, releasing them back to air as gases. But over the centuries, plants will breathe them in again, adding them to leaves, turning them into flowers. The cycle is complete. Growth, life, decay. And so it is that you have come to learn the lessons of ocean and air. Your body, like all bodies, is made from air. And your body, like all bodies, carries within it the story of ocean. We continue to retell some of Earth's most ancient stories just by being alive. My thought is you go through a biology textbook and there's a lot about DNA and you think, okay, there's these uh, chemicals and they make these strings and sure, then they make me. And then there's, but there's kind of like, you know, there's so much going on there. It mm. is a text. It, the way we talk about it is letters and we talk about those letters basically making things that are like words, but they actually in the physical world, it's not just the sound or the meaning of a word, but it also it, it, it enacts that meaning through what it does. And to me, that like 
crucible of this is like kind of nuts. We have this text that does stuff like it is written down. It contains all this historical knowledge and it does stuff with that all the time. And I am part, like I am made of it to me. Ah, it's uh, just a completely stunning way to think about it that I don't hear people really like do maybe as much with as they could, like in terms of how we appreciate the random creature, the small ocean microbe that nobody knew of before. You know, it also has that little chemical story that contains details that we don't even have the ability currently to understand, but we're actually starting to figure it out. And I just feel like, oh God, have we just started to figure out how to appreciate all these Mm. little creatures just as we're losing them? And it feels like that is the slope that we're on. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Oh man. Gosh. This is the... To give like an example, maybe it's just like, there really are these stories in there. Like people will be like, oh, we just looked at these, um, at these octopuses and we realized that they're telling us that there used to be, um, like an ice block here, like on the North or like, uh, the Southern pole. Like there was an article where like, we just kind of realized that this, this DNA tells us a story Mm. about the climate before and i just wonder how many of those stories we have mm. i mean it's probably i imagine endless. i don't know I, I i know this isn't going to be fair to both of you because i'm clearly the one especially our listeners know and i think both you both you especially you claudia know by now like i'm bursting into tears constantly but i imagine you bursting into tears writing this poetry or being yeah. in a drawing did this this happen and maybe a more fair question is how is the grief and heartbreak kind of a partner as you're in this work? Do you feel like that's something you relate to? Definitely. I, um, when I would do writing in the morning before going to work, which is mostly how I got through this. Um, yeah, there would often just be a period where I would let that wash over me. I would cry. I would, um, you know, drink some more coffee, have some more thoughts related to kind of that awe, grief, wonder, and um, try to try to use it, you know, a little, mm-hmm. you know, appreciate it, but also allow it to do its magic. Um, it seems essential to me from where I'm yeah. sitting, listening to you both and, and having been in this book like in the journey of it. Then. I think it emerged from a place of grief. Mm-hmm. And that was very, very present at the beginning. It was like, you know, we don't want to just make something like pretty and sweet and enjoyable and pleasurable. You know, it was coming from a place of, of how can we, how can we find new ways to be in grief? At least that was for me. Mm-hmm. I mean, we didn't try to like, it wasn't supposed to kind of come off as a eulogy in any way, mm. but at the same time we expect, you know, there's enough, you know, people are picking this book up. They probably have enough context to kind of go 
yeah, okay, this is kind of, there's a, there's a darker side to this that, you know, maybe they're not saying, but it's kind of, it's there just like, um, yeah. yeah. To go back to, you couldn't stay. It's like, it starts with grief a little bit. It starts with heartbreak and it's not, and I think the book, what it, the book ends up being, which actually is like a sweet way. I, of, of course, in, in the ways, you know, me and, and the work I do with you're going to die to say, and something I'm feeling urgent need for, you know, when I read this book, it's like, Oh, I want beautiful, joyful, celebratory, enlivening relationship with, you know, my being here and, and being yeah. in this miracle. And I don't want to stay in the grief. And I feel like maybe, and again, this is just, you know, fair, my experience of the book, and I'm just lucky enough to ask y'all and everybody else can have their own and maybe not get to, get to mostly ask you guys. But, you know, for me, I hear like grief absolutely is a beginning and that translates into a, a powerful acknowledgement for the miracle with urgency. You know, it's like the grief ends up mm. translating, transitioning maybe, or translating into urgency. And that's what I feel like I, I felt that re, you know, reading and, and looking at this work. Um, it does not feel, I think that's heavy, right. you know, go ahead. No, it's not, it, it's not heavy. It's supposed, it, I don't think Brian and I have ever used this word. Um, so I don't know how Brian will feel about it, but for me, the book, it, it's like a prayer. It's like a prayer mm. or a song or a sort of an honoring mm -hmm. to everything that I think needs. And you use, you actually said a sort of a bow to, and that is what I think we were trying to do. It is a sort of bowing down to, I mean, it's called the forgotten teachers, it's not the forgotten things in nature. <laughs> it's right. not, you know, it, yeah. it's the teachers and there's uh, inherently the relationship between a student and teacher is, you know, we are looking up to you. We are looking back to you. We have forgotten you and in forgetting, in forgetting you, um, we have arrived where we are now and re remembering is so necessary right now. Hmm. Yeah, I don't, I don't object to the use of that word mm -hmm. prayer. I think that's mm. beautiful. I mean, um, yeah, I sit, I have sat with grief about, I mean, if I'm being honest, I can think back probably to just childhood, always, always having massive emotional response to realizing you know, all these animals have, you know, kind of like their own hopes and they have their own mortalities. And we are often not respecting that or acknowledging it very well. And to me, that was always really unsettling. Um, and I think that has always been with me. And so it, I, did want to have sort of a proactive response and the urgency. Um, I think the urgency is becoming, you know, clear to everyone, clear, clear as each day goes on. So. Yeah. Um, thanks for all that. Um, 
this is <laughs> this is going to feel like a leap, but it might really connect strongly. And I and I just love reading your you know, things we could talk about, Brian, and, and suddenly, oh, you know, like, yeah, I, I, I like wrote up this list. I just kind of like, <laughs> also, why are there companies trying to get people to live forever? Like, that's just a well, that like, for me. was like, I was like, just putting that in there because I realized this was going to be such an opportunity. I was hoping that I could ask you that, Ned, mm. because honestly, have you, have you dealt with that through your mm-hmm. podcast or your events like this? weird Mm -hmm. sort of change that we have now using these same stories where we're taking like the stories of our DNA and we're saying, Oh, what if we can clip this out here and clip this in here? And Oh, now the story just goes on forever for me, Mm -hmm. you know, Mm -hmm. something very strange, but yeah, we don't have to dwell on this. No, I love it as a a topic (laughs) to connect to, you know, we'll we'll see how it, it really lands in the midst of of this conversation about your book, um, and and I can just say for sure it's a conversation that comes up. Um, I would say Chelsea Coleman, our our creative director, and I talk talk have talked a lot about it. Um, you know, my simple relationship mm. to that, just like with like AI and you know the chat. You know, Claudia and, and, you know, we've, we talked, Bryce, you and I talked a lot about this, that those things, I think I might even have said a version of this, which is like, there's a very natural way too, that so much of this is occurring. There's, there's even a part of me that relates to the climate crisis, like obviously avoidable. And we are part of this ecosystem, this planet, like we are part of it. And this is part of how we are being here, which is some people Mm. have said like some version of a cancer, um, Mm. you know, the ways you put it, but that there's part of me that looks at so much of what's happening is the natural order of things. And it cannot stop death in terms of how endings are no matter what are going to be eventual and anyone maybe someday figuring out how to make us immortal will also lead to some unique new way of, of dying and, and death. Yes. Um, oh, that's an amazing idea. You know? Just the fact of, and maybe it would be a culture of, I would hope there would still be, you know, and I expect it would be inevitable. There would be the same amount of death. Maybe there would be more, uh, celebration or something involved in choice. And I don't know. I think mm-hmm. that's a really interesting potentiality there. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, Ethan Hawke, you know, it's such a random <laughs> reference, but I think he's on like the Colbert show and Stephen Colbert asked him like, what does he think about dying and what happens when we die? And he said something like, I don't even think I have, my DNA has, the ability to understand actually like when a dog looks at a clock on the wall, like I, 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 I don't even have it in me to really understand what it means to die. And so then when we talk about immortality or somehow technology or medicine, whatever to keep us alive forever, we're, we're still, we, it's, we're not even, it's not even acknowledging death at all. It's, it's us, in some other conversation thinking we're talking about death and, and dying and death is I'm getting very abstract here, but you asked, um, is something entirely (laughs) beyond our understanding, you know, like we're not even dealing with it. We don't even know how to, um, 
that's a lot. And yeah. maybe that was just a pit stop uh, for us. Claudia, did you, did you have something to throw in on that one? <laughs> you know, I, I, I do actually, I think this, I think it's a fascinating subject. I think it comes back to our cultural, you know, cultural denial of death, which is so part of our existence now. And that does connect back to the book. It's also part of our cultural denial that we are part mm. of the wider world. And yeah. it's part mm. of our ideas that actually, you know, the metaphors that we use to describe ourselves and the world around us are so mechanized now. They used to be completely embedded in the natural world. All of the metaphors we used for the time and, and um, the human mind and our bodies and all of those things. And I think this, this sort of wanting to make ourselves immortal and, and do it in this way of like changing our, you know, DNA and our, all of that, it kind of speaks to this mechanization of how yes. we're viewing reality. Mm. And like, that is a dangerous, dangerous mm. metaphor to forget mm. that that's how we're seeing the world. Mm. Yeah, I totally agree. It's really, it feels like part of our relationship to nature, the modern relationship has really been about setting ourselves apart and not believing that we're, you know, like, uh-oh, we're not so different. And oh man, as we look closer, we're really, really not so different mm -hmm. from everything else. But maybe if we can do this thing or this thing or this thing, or now we can live forever. Okay. Well, that's different, right? That's really got to be different. Mm -hmm. <laughs> I don't know. It feels like part of this long quest of, uh, really struggling this modern quest is Claudia beautifully summarized historically. This was not really the way we talked about nature, but this, yeah, modern framework of trying to be exceptional human exceptionalism, uh, this fits right in. Yeah. Mm -hmm. uh, I, I think maybe our little uh, tangent into companies trying to get people to live forever uh, does sort of feed maybe and nestle back <laughs> into the book here. And, and I don't know if this is next, but I want to give you a chance, Brian, to talk about this. It feels like another episode's conversation because there's so much behind it and, and how many questions. Yeah, and you, you know, the last think, part, you know what I'm talking about? I know what you're going for. Yeah. I actually emailed Claudia like, I accidentally put in something that I don't know. <laughs> well, can we, let's see. We got 11 minutes. What is, what's there? Okay. For the listeners, oh my, interesting it really is so much. <laughs> interesting comments. Confluence of this is Brian's words. Also, an interesting confluence of thoughts in Wordsworth's quote, we murder to dissect, unquote, including a deep study of nature, biology, science is culturally tied to this summary that something almost sacrificial must occur to gain knowledge. And, you know, I do think there's something here right now. I like feel it and, and yeah. something enough to acknowledge in the little time we have. Like, what does it mean? you know, there's something that connects to the, like people trying to live forever. Like, what does it mean to end something and learn from that? Oh my gosh. Ever since I filled out that Google form, I've been thinking about this. <laughs> All right. You can, now that you've, you've I've been thinking for about several it days of thinking, like can you summarize? Hours. <laughs> yeah. I, I can. And Thankfully, there are some really great articles that exist where people have also already thought about this, uh, as I learned. Mm. Um, but one thing that 
I would say summarizes it maybe is when, you know, when there is this, um, when there's an opportunity of sacrificing and that involves confronting mortality, there is, do we learn one thing or do we learn, you know, does everyone else learn something? And do we basically, is it sort of a, a currency of exchange of life for some new knowledge? Because we, there's something we won't know unless, you know, in some cases, mortality is involved. Mortality is one of the big things that we all deal with and it offers, you know, insights. And I think that just gives it this incredible power over us, you know, and in, in, in addition to often the fear we have, we also have this fear in also acknowledging that it contains um, an, an incredible amount of information. And it's, I think what I've been thinking about a lot is just the sense that people have known this for a long time, you know, a really long time. And I think what's crazy is that people still know it and people still in science talk about sacrifice in this historical way. And it's just, it's pretty wild. Mm -hmm. um, Claudia, <laughs> anything to add? Well, when Brian, when Brian told me he'd added this, he was like, are you okay with that? I was like, I'm fine with whatever you want to talk about. I have not thought about this topic <laughs> well, <laughs> and I have probably not much to contribute. Well, here is what I want to, here's, here's my like heavy handed way of bringing it back to the book for our last six minutes. You know, I, I, you know, the chapter that really like kind of beautifully haunts me is the, mm. is it Thea? Thea? How do you say it? Yeah. Mm -hmm. Thea. Thea. Um, this idea that feels like you acknowledge even in one of the videos for the Kickstarter or the, the Kickstarter video that maybe mostly people don't know about this, but there's a way that I really feel. And I'm, again, I'm, 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 I don't think I'm grasping at straws to make this connection, but I'm thinking about the natural order of endings, creating knowledge, you know, like that planet smashing yes. into this planet created like to bring it back to, uh, one of the major themes. And I think like incarnate in the book itself is the way like words and, and forgive me if I'm paraphrasing in a way that does not do justice to the poetry and beauty of, of your book, you both, but like words getting created, like the conversation getting started of where we are now and, and, and from that planet coming in and essentially like murdering what was to create where we are here and now. Um, I, I just feel so like moved and, and sort of, uh, obsessed with that chapter in the book. Oh, I love that. You love that chapter. That was one of the other sort of thrilling moments I was going to mention earlier. I wonder Ned, if I should just explain that Please, chapter because yeah. I don't think we, we actually, uh, Brian sa uh, says this is the most forgotten teacher of all of them. And nobody has heard of planet Thea. I think very few, I hadn't heard of planet Thea. Um, but planet Thea was a planet that came 
about four and a half billion years ago. It's theorized, but there's lots of amazing evidence for it that's actually just come out in the last year. But it came hurtling through space four and a half billion years ago, hits planet Earth, but then smashes into it and just continues off into space. But some of the most extraordinary things happened in that one encounter. The first one is that um, the parts of planet Earth just like came off in that burst and started spinning around the planet, slowly kind of coagulating and coming together to form the moon. Um, and so it started this, uh, uh, it started the um, the time that the moon kind of keeps us on. It hit planet Earth off to the tilt that it is. It's because of the tilt that we have of the planet that we have the seasons. So it created the time of the seasons. And in hitting the planet, it spun it at such a fast speed, but then it was eventually like slowed down by the moon, the gravitational pull. Mm -hmm. um, and so we have the 24-hour um, clock. So we have these, these three kind of notions of time just got like kicked off in this one moment, the tides and the months of the moon, the seasons and the 24 hour day. And all of those systems of time are embedded in our bodies, in our DNA, in the rhythms of our bodies. And that is totally crazy. If you can, now you've made it this far, worth taking one action, which is go to the Kickstarter that I've linked in the show notes to support this book getting published in the world. This first step of them raising enough money so their publisher can take it from there is so key. So go to kickstarter.com. The Forgotten Teachers, you can even search that if you need to. But again, if you look in the show notes for this episode, you can find the link and that's it. I'm also probably going to include, no, no, I will include, I will include links to Brian's website, Claudia, ways to connect to them and their individual beings in the world. Super grateful for Claudia and Brian for giving us a chance to talk about this book at this stage, especially. It felt really precious to have this time with them. So I hope you enjoy the episode and listening to us talk. And I hope you're so moved that you've gone on to the Kickstarter to support that book happening. Um, let's make it happen. Thank you all. Nick Jana, hello. Hello. On the road again. On the road again. And where are you calling from? Well, you're on the phone. Everybody, the audio quality on Nick's end has been um, good enough, we'll call it, because he's <laughs> he's been traveling. Where, where are you? Sorry. I'm in, Fort, I'm in Fort Collins, Colorado. I'm almost done with my trip. I'll be home in a few days, but oh, yeah, nice. still on the road. Yeah. Well, uh, so glad we've still been able to make time to connect. And also, I know how busy you are. 
I think you also made time to read The Forgotten Teachers. Yeah, it's beautiful. Um, yeah, it's, you know, it's just, it's my kind of book. Totally. I totally <laughs> right my feel alley. that way. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, I was thinking while reading it and listening to the discussion, um, I don't think they ever say the word alchemy, but to me, that's exactly what they're talking about. Alchemy, which is mm -hmm. a discussion that I'm often in and when I do my yeah, we've talked readings about and stuff. Yeah. Um, and, you know, the basic tenet of alchemy being as above, so below. Um, this idea that you can't expect to change the environment with outside of you without altering the environment within you and vice versa. That's the, to me, that's the, at the heart of all the things that they're talking about too, you know, like we're inextricably linked to all of that stuff. And why would we want to not be, you know, like it's, it's a beautiful thing to be a part of all that. Yeah, absolutely. Um, and yeah, we've talked about that word alchemy before. I love that. Um, I feel like one of the versions of it was talking about the alchemy of like salt and water and tears and crying, but mm -hmm. um, connecting it to the literature here. I was so happy, obviously wanted you to read it so that you'd have context for the conversation when you edited the interview and getting this episode ready. Uh, but But kind of more than that, I was feeling your inclination for the written word, but also your love for, for imagery and your own like drawing and, and comics and, 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 uh, graphic design. And so it felt cool to send it over to you. Cause I was just expecting that you would be very moved by it or touched or in wonder of it. Yeah. And I love how they say it's not necessarily a children's book or it's not a children's book. It's for everyone. Um, and that's a rare, offering to give of something with beautiful illustrations you know pages not filled with all with words that's not for children necessarily but like can be for adults because it's it's such a wonderful format that we think <laughs> we grow beyond it's like nope you can only read books with words it's like it's just such a joy to like look i'm just looking through these images right now they're just so bright and beautiful and watercolory it's just it's just a wonderful thing to look at yeah what you know i i talk to Brian and Claudia about my favorite section of the book being the planet Thea. And I'm wondering, did you know about that part of potential, I guess, the possibility or likelihood of that part of, of the history of the planet? Yeah. And it's funny. I've just been in this discussion so much lately of uh, intense tragedies that lead to something not just beautiful, but just everything that we know, you know, I mean, I usually talk about like the asteroid or the conditions that killed the dinosaurs and how, if you were a dinosaur, that would just be tragic, obviously, but everything that we know and love comes because of that, you know, yes. um, I'm, I'm doing these, you know, these tea services where I connect with people and ask about people that they're missing. I was in the small town the other night doing these tea services and I, I light candles and I have music going and I say, does anyone want to talk about anyone they're missing? And people will be hesitant at first and then they'll share something and then I'll blow out the candles and, and do my performance. And this other night I tried to blow out the candle and it wouldn't blow out twice. And I was like, do you guys have something else you want to talk about? <laughs> and everybody <laughs> oh, kind of yeah. looks at this one woman and she was like, we all lost someone in this community and we just, we're still in shock and we don't know what to say. And I was just like, Ooh. Tell, tell me a, tell me a happy story. Tell me a funny story about this, you know? And they started talking and telling these like ridiculous stories and laughing and you know, outside of the tragedy, outside of knowing the person and the loss, I just saw the beauty of, wow, this town loves this person. And he was so great and he was so vibrant. And, and the loss is tragic, but also 
it's just amazing that that those people happen at all you know like i i, I know it's easy for me to say that not having known him of course but maybe that little bit of perspective is is helpful to just like it's so beautiful how much you love him and how beautiful this person was so i i was reading the book right as that was happening and i was just thinking of it's not just the big cataclysmic planet collisions that are like that but just you know as above so below in our lives too like these terrible things happen that we wish would not happen and we would do anything to change but we see it lays the groundwork for something else beautiful to happen you know yeah it's almost like i, I love that section like i mentioned to brian and claudia maybe not really clearly but i'm getting the chance now to say i love that section because of so much of what you just described and also the simultaneous reminder of how vast and infinite this thing is that we're in the midst of uh, another chance another touchstone to not take ourselves so seriously but it's so big and so inclined towards death and destruction leading to life like no matter what it will lead to something new no matter yeah. what no matter how yeah. big the loss the meteor of this community's loss you know, yeah. like this, how that struck all of them will lead to a moment like you all shared with a fire that won't go out and yeah. the room that you've paid attention for needed to say what can get created here or revisited or um, solidified in memory that we need to stay connected to. Um, mm -hmm. And this is a moment that only exists because of that loss. And always, of course, the caveat for the listener out there that maybe felt that that connection to Thea and the planet and the life that would come from that planet slamming into Earth, um, feeling their version of it personally and remembering, yes, of course, <laughs> thinking back to the dinosaurs, like, oh, I wish the dinosaurs didn't have to go through that, <laughs> you know, like <laughs> the tragedy of that, you know, and simultaneously, thank goodness we're here, you know, because yeah. that happened, you know, like you can kind of hold both simultaneously. Yeah. yeah. Well, thanks, Nick. So glad to connect and really glad you were able to find some time to be with the book. And thanks for all your work and your music in this episode. This one means a lot to me. They all do, but <laughs> just feeling my love for Claudia and and our love for great artists and great creativity that really is so meaningful. Um, thanks for your work on this one. And, and I hope you keep having safe, wonderful, meaningful travels until you're home. Thank you. Thanks for listening, everybody. Remember, go to the Kickstarter linked in our show notes. I did not mention other than being able to support this book getting published, which is plenty worthwhile. You also can go and contribute to the Kickstarter and get things actually because you've contributed. I mentioned earlier that you can get a copy of the book. You can get a copy of the book signed. You can get a letter from the authors of the book, the creators of the book with your favorite section of the book included in that letter. You can actually get prints of artwork from the book for yourself, for your own wall. And Claudia's imagery, I think I've already made clear how uh, wonderful it is to imagine a presence of, of something like that on your wall. And because you gave to something that led to other people getting a version of that beautiful, beautiful thing in the world. So go to the Kickstarter. It's in the show notes or go to kickstarter.com and search for the Forgotten Teachers. Thanks everyone for listening. Until next time. Bye-bye.